Hi and welcome to my Parsha Share. Today's Share is sponsored by Ed and Cecile Gromis. In memory of Ed's mother, Chana Basmosh Yehuda Koen, Olea Shalom, whose yard site is on the 7th of Shvat. May her neshama have an aliyah. May we all be zoichet to sitchias hamesim. Today, I'm going to take a deep dive into the heart of Parshas Va'era and Parshas Boi, into an aspect of the Exodus story that is totally central to the narrative, but is generally only understood in very superficial terms. I'm talking about the Esemakos, the Ten Plagues, the series of collective punishments meted out by God to the Egyptians, beginning with all the water turning to blood and ending with the climactic death of all the firstborns at the stroke of midnight on the night of the Exodus itself, Yetzias Mitzrayim. Because the fact is this, God didn't just choose ten random punishments. Individually and collectively, the ten plagues have to mean something. There is a message in each and every one of them, and in all of them together. The ten plagues stand at the intersection of divine communication and human understanding. They are very real events with consequences in terms of people's lives, and they were directly imposed by God in sequence, deliberately, and therefore they are God talking to us. What was he saying to us? What is he saying to us now as we read them 33 centuries after these plagues happened? The Kliyakar commentary introduces his understanding of the Ten Plagues with three psukim. The first in Perik Zayin, Posig Yud Zayin, Hashem, teda ki ani Hashem. So says God, by this you shall know that I am God. The next posuk that he quotes is in Perik Ches, Posig Yud Ches, Leman teda ki ani Hashem so that you shall know that I am God in the midst of the land. And finally, Perik test posigudalad, Bavur Teda ki ein kamoini bacholhaoretz, so that you shall know that there is none like me in the whole world. The Kliokar identifies these three statements as being associated with the familiar breakdown of the ten plagues into a set of three, the first being Tzach, an acronym for Dom, blood, Tzfardea frogs, Kinim, lice. The second set is Adash, an acronym for Oroiv wild animals, dever, pestilence, namely the death of all the livestock, and shechin, boils. The final set is b'achav, which is an acronym for borod, hail, arbe, locust, choyshech, darkness, and b'choyres, firstborn, who all died in that final almighty blow against Egypt. The first posuk of the three quoted by Kliyokor, so says God, by this you shall know that I am God, is associated with the first plague of the Detzach set. Similarly, the second posuk quoted by Kliyokar is stated in the first plague of the Adash set, Laman Teda Kiani Hashem Bekerafarit, so that you shall know that I am God in the midst of the land. And then in the first plague of the Ba'achav set, it says, Ba'avur Teda so that you shall know that there is none like me in the whole world. The Maharal of Prague also discusses this, and he explains, it's quoted by the Kliyoka, that Paroi, the arch-villain in the Exodus story, who represents the evil that opposes God at every turn, and is representative of that evil even today, Pharaoh says, the Maharal, 
denied three things. The first thing he denied is the existence of God, which is why in the first play God said, do you know why I'm doing this to you, Pharaoh? I'll tell you why. By this plague you shall know that I am God. You will realize your denials were wrong, and I do exist. The second thing that Pharaoh denied is this. Even if one were to say that there is a God in existence, he does not concern himself with the ordinary affairs of mere mortals. He would be a lofty being far above the petty existence of human beings. That's why God said, So that you shall know that I'm God in the midst of the land. Hey, Pharaoh, you see this plague? Yeah, I'm right here in your face, not in some heavenly realm where I don't get involved with your day-to-day life. The third thing Pharaoh denied was the ability of God to change nature at all. Nature is preset, Pharaoh argued, and even if there is a God, nature will never change. And that's why God said, So that you shall know that there is none like me in the whole world. Meaning, he can act according to his will, even if it goes against the laws of nature. So far, the Kliyokar is giving us a profound understanding, via the words of Maharal, of the escalating nature of God's revelation through the plagues. Each set of plagues corresponds to a specific denial by Pharaoh, and each serves to systematically dismantle these denials. Pharaoh was an atheist, so the first set of plagues, Tzach, blood, frogs, lice, addresses the fundamental acknowledgement of God's existence. In these plagues, Pharaoh's declaration of ignorance of God is directly challenged. The plagues demonstrate God's presence and power in a tangible way, refuting Pharaoh's atheistic stance. Then there is Pharaoh's denial of God's involvement in the world. For this denial, there was the second set, Adash, wild animals, pestilence, boils, which progressively show God's active involvement in earthly matters. These plagues counter the deistic view of Pharaoh that even if God exists, he remains distant and uninvolved in the world's affairs. The specificity of these plagues, particularly in sparing the Jewish nation from being afflicted, illustrates a divine providence that is intimately engaged with the fate of every creature. And finally, there is Pharaoh's denial of God's power over nature. The final set of plagues, Ba'achav, hail, locusts, darkness, and then the death of the firstborns, addresses the most profound denial, the limitation of divine power, particularly over nature. By manipulating natural forces in unprecedented ways, these plagues asserted that God is not bound by the laws of nature. Instead, he wields them at will to fulfill his will. Through this layered approach, the Kliokar is revealing that the ten plagues were not just punitive measures, but rather they were educational tools designed to reveal aspects of God's character and power. Each plague served to dismantle Pharaoh's resistance and to demonstrate to the Egyptians, the Israelites, and to generations thereafter, to us, which means us today, right now, as we read the Torah, we can see the multifaceted 
sovereignty of God. The Kliokar continues his insightful analysis of the ten plagues, elaborating even further and getting more granular. Here are his words. And let me say this. To add clarification to the Maharal, the first three plagues came to affirm the existence of God. This is because the Egyptians said that the Nile was their God, and there is none other as mighty as the Nile. Therefore, God acted against their God, the river Nile, to show that there is one who is higher than the highest. With regard to the plague of frogs, the frogs came out of the river, which showed that even the so-called God river would produce things that affirm the existence of Hashem. The frogs sanctified God publicly by even jumping into ovens to ruin the food being prepared by the Egyptians. The Gemara in Psochim, Dafnun Gimel, Omid Beis, says that Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah were ready to give up their lives for the sanctification of God's name because they knew that this was the right thing to do. How did they know that? It was from the frogs that went into the ovens in Egypt. Therefore, those in the ovens, the frogs, did not die as concluded um, in this Yalkut. If you have to look at the Yalkut. And the lice, it says, it's by Lekimhi, it's the finger of God. In this plague, even the magicians confessed and proclaimed that this plague was from God. And as the Talmud teaches us, the admission of a defendant is as good as 100 witnesses. The Kliyoka provides us with a thematic link between the first three plagues, emphasizing how each was designed to dismantle a specific aspect of Egyptian idolatry and theology. The Nile, venerated as a deity by the Egyptians, becomes the focal point of God's initial demonstrations of power. The transformation of the Nile into blood is not just a physical alteration, but a symbolic dethronement of the Egyptian god. The Nile, which was the source of life and prosperity in Egypt, is shown to be under the control of the god of Israel, of Hashem. The statement, by this you shall know that I am God, directly challenges the Egyptian belief system, asserting God's supremacy over their gods. Then you have the plague of frogs emerging from the defiled Nile. The frogs represent a physical manifestation of God's power. This plague demonstrates that even the elements the Egyptians believed sacred could be turned against them to prove God's existence and power. The frogs invading every aspect of Egyptian life, even in the heat of ovens, draw a parallel to the unwavering faith of Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah demonstrating an absolute commitment to God's sanctity. And the third one in the set is the plague of lice. Here, the Egyptian magicians, who had previously replicated the plagues, recognised a divine power at work that was beyond their abilities, declaring it is the finger of God. This confession, even from the supposed spiritual authorities of Egypt, served as a powerful testament, evidence of the undeniable presence and power of God. Even the holy men from the other team, as it were, realise that they could not overcome God. The Kliokar is illustrating that Tzach was nothing less than a strategic dismantling of Egyptian idolatry, with each plague as a step, one step along the way in demonstrating the true omnipotence and sovereignty of Hashem. 
the God of Israel. This is a profound lesson in the ultimate futility of idol worship, and it resonates through history via the narrative in the Torah as evidence of God's existence. The Kliokar's analysis continues with insight into the second set of plagues known as Adash, wild animals, pestilence, boils, highlighting the idea of divine providence and differentiation between the righteous and the wicked. The order of Adash, says the Kliokar, shows that God supervises the ordinary affairs of the world in all its details, refuting those who say that God supervises only the species as a whole and not the particulars of each person's ways. According to their words, everything is mixed up, as there is no distinction between one person and another, or between someone who believes in God and someone who doesn't. That was why the wild animals came ba'oroiv, in a mixture. That's what oroiv means. All of them together. The Pasuk also says, Ve'hiflesi ba'yoim ha'hu es eretz goishen, asher ami oimed oleho, levilti ha'yois shom oroiv, leman teida ki ani Hashem be'kerev ha'oretz. God says, I will put a division on that day between the land of Goshen, where my people live, and that no wild animals shall be there, so that you know that I am God in the midst of the land. This is a decisive sign that God makes a distinction between the righteous and the wicked, and that God supervises the minutest details of every individual. That's why the Posuk says, Lamanteda ki ani Hashem so that you know that I am God in the midst of the land, because this posuk is telling us that God is totally involved in what we refer to in Hebrew as hashkocha protis, personal providence. He's not aloof, he's not removed or remote. God is right here with us in the trenches, intimately involved in every detail of human existence. There's another similar reference in the plague of pestilence. And God will make a distinction between the livestock of the Israelites and the livestock of Egypt. It is another example of Hashkocha Protis. And so it was for the plague of boils. The dust that caused the boils erupted all around Egypt, the whole country. But the Jewish people never got the boils. That's why Pharaoh's wizards had nothing to say to Moshe. They, they couldn't work out. They were actually they could work out how the plague would happen, and they could even replicate the plague, but that didn't explain why the Jewish people were unaffected. Even the wizards were affected, but not the Jewish people. It went against everything that the wizards believed. They believed in something. They thought they understood it, and it turned out not to be true. This ex explanation of the Kliyokar is so insightful. He's showing us that this second set of plagues was not a random group of unpleasant punishments. Rather, all the plagues were deliberately calibrated to deliver a message. A message about Hashkocha Protis. These plagues demonstrated God's intricate involvement in the world, not just on a general or species level, but down to the individual and personal level. This counters the view that God is distant or indifferent to individual destinies and actions. The confusion and chaos brought by the wild animals, or more accurately, what Oroid means is a mixture of animals, of wild animals. It reflects the spiritual disarray 
of the Egyptians, sparing the land of Goshen where the Israelites lived, underscores the idea of divine protection and of God's favour towards the righteous. The pestilence plague that struck the livestock of the Egyptians but spared the livestock of the Israelites further illustrates this point. The Kliyakar sees in this a clear demonstration of God's selective providence, reinforcing the idea that God is intimately aware of and involved with the lives of individuals. But perhaps the most striking example is the plague of boils, which afflicted the Egyptians and their wizards and witch doctors, but spared the Jewish people. The Israelites were unaffected. The wizards, who had previously managed to replicate or explain away the plagues, were rendered powerless and could not even stand before Moshe Rabbeinu, before Moses. This signifies a turning point in the plague's narrative. The phoniness of the Egyptian magicians is laid bare and the undeniable power of God is made manifest. Through these plagues, the Kliyaka illustrates a God who is deeply concerned with justice and righteousness, actively distinguishing between those who follow his ways and those who oppose them and deny him. This understanding challenges any notions of divine indifference and reaffirms the personal relationship God maintains with his creation and particularly with humans. The Kliyakar now turns to the last set of plagues, Ba'achav, hail, locust, darkness and the death of the firstborns. The focus here is on demonstrating the omnipotence of God. God can change nature and is not bound by the laws of nature. As we said earlier, the Maral of Prague interpreted this set of plagues as coming to affirm the power of God. According to the Kliyakar, Pharaoh claimed that there were two equal deities, two equivalent authorities, which is why in, in the first plague of the Ba'achav set, the Posuk says, so that you shall know that there is none like me in the whole world. Pharaoh's claim that there was another deity was about the stars, the constellations and the sun, which is why three of the plagues blocked out the light of the sun and prevented people from seeing the constellations. When the hail fell, the skies clouded up and the sun could not be seen for the duration of the hail's descent. And with the plague of locusts, the Posuk says, Vachisa es ein kol it covered the eye of the earth. The eye of the earth means the sun, as it is the eye of the earth, and the locust covering the sky meant that no one could see the sun. So too, with the plague of darkness, no one could see the sun or the stars. And when the firstborn died, actually, there was also no sun. It was in the middle of the night. All this is evidence. It points, to the, it points the finger at Pharaoh claiming that the sun and the stars had equal power to God. And God couldn't overrule their power because their power is also great. Which is why, when referring to the plague of hail, the Torah tells us, there was never hail like this before, ever. And similarly, with the locust, the Torah tells us there was never any locust like this before. And all this augments the statement, so that you shall know that there is none like me in the whole world. Finally, there was the plague of the firstborn. 
killing of the firstborn, the death of the firstborn. This was a demonstration of God's subjugation of the constellation Aries, the firstborn of all the constellations. The Kliokar beautifully builds on the Maharal's interpretation by explaining the last set of plagues as a direct challenge to Pharaoh's polytheistic beliefs, specifically his reverence for celestial bodies like the sun and the stars. The plague of hail, which darkened the sky and obscured the sun, directly confronts the belief in the sun as a divine force. Similarly, the locusts covering the eye of the earth, a metaphor for the sun, demonstrated God's control over what was perceived as the ultimate source of light and life. The total darkness of Choshech, which was a direct and palpable absence of light, demonstrated that the God of Israel holds dominion even over the essential forces of light and darkness, further invalidating the Egyptian reverence for solar deities. The culmination of the plagues was the death of the firstborn, which took place at night when the sun's light is absent, symbolizing the ultimate defeat of the celestial powers revered by the Egyptians. The specific targeting of the firstborn, who in many cultures are seen as the bearers of continuation and legacy, signified a direct challenge to the future and continuity of the Egyptian way of life and of their beliefs. These four plagues, says the Kliyoka, highlight the theme of monotheism, triumphing over polytheism, showcasing the singular, unrivaled power of the God of Israel. God wanted to teach a theological lesson, but also wanted to leave us a powerful narrative tool to demonstrate the gradual but undeniable dismantling of Egyptian idolatry and the elevation of monotheistic belief. Of Shamshan Raphael Hirsch, also brings a unique perspective into the miraculous events of the Ten Plagues. His interpretation not only enhances our understanding of the plagues, but also connects them to the broader narrative of the Israelites' suffering and redemption. Of Hirsch doesn't stick with the Detzach Adash Ba'achav groups. Instead, he comes up with his own breakdown of the plagues, which is different. He observes that the Ten Plagues can be grouped into distinct categories, each representing a different aspect of the Israelites' experience in Egypt. This categorization is not arbitrary. It reflects a deeper understanding of the purpose and significance of each plague. For Rav Hirsch, the plagues are divided into four groups. Gerus, Gerut, alienation, Avdut, enslavement, Inui, torment, and Geula, redemption. Each of these four groups corresponds to a particular stage in the Jewish people's journey from slavery to freedom, illustrating the transformation of the Israelites' circumstances and the unfolding of divine justice. The first group, Gerut, includes the plagues of blood, wild animals and hail. These plagues symbolize the Israelites' alienation in Egypt, a land where they were strangers, Rav Hirsch points out that the Egyptians, who were themselves once strangers in their land, had no right to oppress the Israelites. The plagues of blood and hail turning the Nile and the sky against the Egyptians. 
the Nile and the sky were realms that were crucial to Egyptian life and belief and central to their identity. The wild animals emerging from the very heart of the land of Egypt further reinforced this theme of alienation. The second group, Avdut, comprises the plagues of frogs, pestilence and locusts. These plagues expose the baselessness of the Egyptians' claims to superiority and their right to enslave others. The relentless invasion of frogs into their homes and personal spaces. The devastating pestilence that struck their livestock. And the destructive swarm of locusts that destroyed their crops reveal the hollowness of Egyptian power and therefore the injustice of their enslavement of the Israelites. Inui, the third category, includes the plagues of lice, boils and darkness. These plagues represent the physical and psychological torment inflicted upon the Israelites. The lice emerging from the dust, the painful boils and the overwhelming darkness that engulfed Egypt serve as, a direct, as direct responses to the sufferings endured by the Israelites. These plagues forced the Egyptians to experience a fraction of the pain that they had inflicted, making them confront the reality of their vicious cruelty. Finally, the plague of the death of the firstborns represents Geula, the ultimate redemption. This final plague, striking at the heart of Egyptian society, the celebrated firstborns, was a decisive act that led to the liberation of the Israelites, of the Jewish people. It symbolized the end of oppression and the beginning of a new era of freedom. This plague demonstrated God's ultimate authority over life and death and his commitment to liberating his people while knocking out the most powerful element of Egyptian society, the firstborns. Rav Hersha's interpretation of the Ten Plagues offers, offers us an alternative window into the profound meanings behind these events. The plagues were not just miracles. They were powerful messages of justice, a divine response to oppression, and a clear demonstration of God's unwavering commitment to his people, the Jewish people. Let's conclude our share today with a sweet and meaningful numerical allusion from the Balaturim, who specialized in gematrias. According to the Balaturim, the number 10 is not incidental. In Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism, the number 10 signifies the wholeness of creation and of divine emanation. The 10 plagues mirror this completeness, reflecting the ten sefirot of creation and the ten utterances, the asura mamores of creation, which mirrors the idea that the ten plagues led to an entirely new creation, namely the Jewish people, who emerged out of the crucible of these extraordinary events. There is, of course, much more to say about the ten plagues, and I have various other shiurim on my website that are devoted to this wide-ranging topic. Please listen to those shiurim too, if you have time. But for today, this is it. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, thank you.